0: been instilled with tactics and training for battling enemies overseas, but we are not taught how to battle the ones within. When the combat zone becomes your comfort zone, what becomes of the home front? I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Together, we're tackling tough topics to conquer whatever challenge you're facing, from your soft unit to your family unit, with our amazing lineup of guests, including special operators, field experts,
0: and so much more. This isn't your typical cool guy podcast. Welcome to All Secure. Today we are talking with Vietnam veteran, John Stillman. During his time overseas, he developed a love for the Rome plows in Vietnam, which led him to a career as an operating engineer. Now retired, he helps out with nonprofit veterans organizations and tending to the almost 100 acres he calls home right here in Missouri.
1: John, alongside his daughter, Lori, wrote a memoir about his time in Vietnam called Jumping from Helicopters. Make sure to check that out. John has been happily married to his wife, Rita, for 53 years, and is the father to four children, two daughters and two sons, and John still loves his road trips.
0: Man, I love Vietnam veterans. I even wrote about it in my own book. It just, you know, Rambo brought it home, and I, I even talk about it when we speak about how Rambo broke down and had a post-traumatic stress event, and it's, it's just, I have a love for it. And uh, I can't wait to
1: talk to him. It's a great conversation. I think a lot of people are going to gain from John's wisdom, his stories. He's sure a nice guy to talk to, too. So let's dive right in. All
0: right, John, I really appreciate you coming on today because we are excited to talk to you. Um, Jumping from helicopters. You sent me your book, and my father-in-law stole it immediately. And now they're down in Florida, so I haven't had the chance (laughs) to read it. So I've been online reading as much as I could, reading your synopsis and things. But my question to start with before we dive into your book is you, you went to Vietnam in 1967. Correct. Correct. That's the year I was born. <laughs> and um, that, was, that, that know, struck well, me. <laughs> no, that struck me because a lot of my book was about the year. I was starts off the year I was born in, in Vietnam and the era and, and, the, and what I was raised in and, and why I went where I went. But you wrote a book with your daughter in 2018. What did you learn from your daughter through that process? And what did she learn from you? And how did that, or, or did that bring you together and, and show her a lot more about what you had gone through than you had ever really spoken about before?
2: we had always been very close from the time she was born. Uh, but the book, uh, interviewing from 2013 to the launch in 2018, we became very close. Uh, she didn't know any of the story because nobody had ever been told uh, she was the first one to ever hear that I ever talked to from, I came home uh, December of 1968, and this was uh, January 2013, uh, and that's the first time I talked. That's a long time to hold something man. Mm.
1: It's a very long time to hold long something man.
0: We're, wow. we're on average these days, about 13 years for, for an operator to ask for help. And that's kind of on average, some guys are like, Hey, I think it's time. Like, when did you get out? And like do the math. I'm like, Oh, that's about 12 <laughs> or 13 years ago. Wow. It's weird. That's a long, long time to hold something. Uh, I, uh,
2: I kept it in all those years. What right before the book, uh, started to talk about the book, I, I graduated from Webster uh, Groves high school and I was, uh, invited to come back because they were going to put my picture and that I had received a bronze star on the wall at the school, in the school. And that, I thought that's all it was going to be. And then they asked me to speak and I'd never talked to anybody. And I wow. was wow. tra- I was trapped in the classroom. And that, that was b- the beginning of opening up.
1: Was wow. So the first time you opened up and shared your story was at Webster. Webster,
2: Webster High School. And it was a surprise they do a history class uh with military uh, history and was invited for a veterans day for assembly they do it a little bit different every year with different uh time branches of, of world war ii or vietnam or whatever and, and this one was starting the wall in the hallway where they had anybody's picture that served any time in the military so there's guys from world war one all the way up to current some of the school teachers there are in the military, you know, wow. and the, the pictures on the wall, anybody that graduated could have their picture on the wall. And of course, the, all the guys that were killed in combat.
0: Are, so you uh, show up to get an award and they surprise you with, Hey, tell us a little bit of something about and you're like, well, all right. Uh, what, what did you talk about? Yeah. I mean, when you pull something out of your hat, yeah, something emotional yeah. and hard. Since
1: 1969. Yeah, right. What was
0: that topic? <laughs>
2: it, it the whole experience was different because after I came home from Vietnam, if I would have went over to the high school in my dress greens, they would have called the police. If I would have stepped on the school grounds, you could stand out in the street, but you could not come into school. Uh, big difference.
0: Man, that's sad.
1: I, you know, you always hear the stories and um, of how our Vietnam veterans were treated. Um, I was born in nineteen seventy-five didn't really have a point of reference for, for what that truly, that experience was like, right? We, we see the TV shows or how it's depicted, but you came home in a time where it was not very favorable to wear a uniform, like you said. What impact did that have on you when you came home personally for you?
2: I came out of Vietnam about 24 hours later in Fort Lewis, Washington, I was discharged and from there a civilian. Uh, they did ask me if I was okay. That was my debriefing. Are you okay? <laughs> are,
0: are you okay? <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down and then get out of here. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm, I'm bleeding internally. I had been bleeding like that uh, for four or five months of Vietnam. So I am uh, I got something going on inside and I tell them, sure, I'm fine. And they gave me a dress, uh, greens, uh, put everything on it, uh, gave me discharge, and I went off to Lambert in St. Louis. Uh, I did wear a uniform. A lot of guys took uniforms off at that time. Uh, I That didn't even cross my mind. I wanted to wear that uniform. Uh, very proud of a, a paratrooper's uniform at that time. It was uh, jump boots and everything. Uh, never received any kind of comments at the airport there or in St. Louis from anybody negative. And I didn't think about it to quite a few years later at a Uh, talking at a speaking engagement about the book. And somebody said, you were carrying a Chinese carbine with a 12-inch bayonet. Is that on the plane with me? Is that why nobody did anything to you? And I said, well, that could have been. I never thought about it. I had the bayonet (laughs) folded back, but I wouldn't put it with the patch I I carried it up in the seat with me. I didn't want anybody taking it from me.
0: It's a different time. (laughs) Yeah, no
2: no ammo. But nobody knew that, you know, of course. But uh, I didn't even think of that. That wasn't the reason I was keeping it in the seat with me. I didn't want somebody to steal it. Because the MPs were trying to take it from me uh, for me to give it up when I was leaving Saigon. But uh, I came home and took the uniform off and I didn't talk to anybody. You know, that was it. My dad uh, said, do you want to talk? And I should have. I should have opened up and really talked. And I just shut down. And from there, just that was the end of it. I just didn't say anything to anybody.
0: Do you think you know the reasons you didn't want to talk? I mean, back then, did you, did you know? Did you think about it? Did you just, was it, was it society? If I open my mouth then I'll just get attacked or something? Or what? <laughs>
2: uh, very guilty. There was 152 guys in my unit killed in 12 months. And uh, I didn't think I should come home. Yeah. Why? Why did I come home? And I knew these guys, we lived at Fort Campbell together for six months and we got on C-141, flew over. Uh, we flew military, we didn't go civilian, the 101st to hold of uh, 10,000 of us left Fort Campbell together wow. on C-141s. The biggest airlift in military history to this day. It took uh, right at three months, C-141s ran around the clock, going over, coming back. Uh, to Fort Campbell. <clears throat> Flew out of uh, Scott Air Force Base in Illinois, came down there and picked us up. Same plane I jumped out of, C-141 uh, cargo jet. Uh, but we really knew each other. Uh, the, a lot of Vietnam vets that we went as... Uh, Individuals came back as brothers or something similar to that, but that wasn't the case for me. I went over there knowing these guys. I mean, I was slept in the same barracks with them. We ate together. We trained together, and every couple of days there'd be a couple of guys gone. Pretty soon, it was a point that I didn't see faces. I knew it was all replacements. Yeah, you know, a lot of, uh, over. I think that year for my unit was over 1,100 Purple Hearts. So a lot of those guys didn't get killed. They were gone. Some of them two and three Purple Hearts, and then they're gone.
0: People don't understand that. Um, I, obviously, they can't, right? They can't understand yeah. the loss of that many acquaintances, friends, coworkers, people you've bonded with. They can't. Um, I've tried to explain it. You know, and You don't get to mourn. You don't come home. To their their funerals, you come home maybe to a memorial if you're lucky, or or never. They're right. buried and you're still deployed. You come home six, eight, ten months later. I mean, it's over. You never get to mourn that process. That's very very difficult.
2: Um, we didn't. It was Tet of 1968 that the highest number of uh losses of the whole Vietnam War was that year. There was no time to mourn. There was no time to have. Uh, a memorial service. We did have one when I first got there, right before Ted broke out, for the first four or five guys. Uh, we'd been there about a week, and uh, we had that. But that after that, it was no uh, time to, to do that for any stand downs or anything. Usually after they, we made contact and somebody was killed or wounded or gone, the company commander would say, saddle up. And we moved out, and nobody ever talked about it again.
1: Yeah, that that the survivor's guilt is, is something that crosses all times. Um we've yet it's something that's not very often spoken about, especially I don't think in in your time we're barely um starting to talk about PTS, the effects, um moral injury, survivor's guilt. Was there a point in time that you found peace?
2: With the survivors guilt part yes. uh it was well, I'll back up a little bit. At the time of Lori starts interviewing me for the book, at that time I had been into uh, counseling with the VA for about two years at that time. I waited that long. I didn't want to rush into counseling.
0: <laughs> you got to ease into uh, it.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, I, I started doing the counseling, and they started telling me at that time that it would be good instead of, feeling that about the survivor's guilt to lift these guys up. That So now I have a lot of pictures on my phone. And when I have the opportunity, I pull it up and I show a picture of, of you know, some, I don't have everybody's on there naturally, but some of the guys that were close with me. Uh, that started helping. And in the process of the book, we we found uh, one of the guys I was really close with, Ronnie Means, that was uh, killed on February the 5th at sixty-eight. And I went up to Cherokee, Iowa, which is a Northwest corner of Iowa, small town where he was from. And when my wife and I were driving into town, I said, uh, I feel like I'm going to a funeral. And about that time at the edge of town, there's a funeral home here. It's all these years later. But that was that's when I, I met his mother. His mother was still alive. His dad had passed away, but all of his brothers and sisters were there. Yeah one of the brothers had it set up with the news media to be there and you know it was big and that was a closure you know right there um it'd be nice if i could do that for every one of them but a lot of guys it's hard to find people that and especially with my age group where a lot of them are gone now that have, have passed my my company commander i almost found him in a suburb of chicago and he passes away right be- before uh-huh. I see him. And, uh, my platoon sergeant, uh, he started his career in Korea. He, he got in too young. His mom signed him, went in Korea to go into combat. Wow. So I found him, went to, to New York and, and saw him. So I, now I talk to him a couple times a month, or if not more on the phone, but for years I hadn't seen him either. Uh, he go, he went to Korea in combat, gets out, stays in the military. So this when he takes me to Vietnam as my platoon sergeant, it's his second tour in Vietnam, third in combat. Uh, quite a character. He's almost ninety, and he's still getting around, four wheeling. Wow! And, yeah, he, <laughs> wow. He's a
1: character.
0: I like to hear stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I do. I'm like, uh oh, yeah. worried about aging. I'm like, oh, everything hurts.
1: When you saw him. Um, Was that also another, I don't know, a moment of closure or acceptance or what was that like?
2: Yeah, it was uh, just like a a great reunion to go from. And that was uh, right before COVID around, uh, I think it was 2018 when I went up to uh, New York, upstate New York is where he lives. And uh, here we hadn't seen each other since he left the field uh, in 68. Wow. Uh, they were rotating uh uh sergeants and the uh, captain and everything, but they only spent six months in the field. So they would rot rotate out and we'd get somebody new. So I hadn't seen him since the middle of the year. I was with him. He was with me together for about a half a year and then he rotated out and went with Mac v and Oh wow. It's been a long time, you know, since I'd seen him.
0: Nobody uh can understand that. Right, it's thirty yeah. years for me from Somalia, and when I dive deep and think like you, I'm. I'm that's it. The emotions come. Right, some fifty years yeah. later, it's still an emotional time, even though you've moved past it, mourned it, maybe. It's still an emotional time. So, to get people to understand that when you just get out after another twenty years of war, Afghanistan and Iraq, and and people are like, oh my god, this is horrible, and then the the flow back to Vietnam, get jumping on the helicopter off the top of the embassy, the same thing, you know, they're trying to connect the two pieces. And they don't realize that if you don't start now with your healing, it's going to be there and it's going to be worse 30, 40, 50 years later, it doesn't go away.
2: I I like to use the, the analogy, I guess you'd call it of a splinter, because everybody's had a splinter in their hand, I'm sure. And uh, you leave it there and it doesn't go away. Normally it just gets sore. And then you try to pick at it a little bit to get it out and it makes it worse. And you can't get it out on your own. You need some help. So then you go to someone and get help and they, they don't feel the pain, but they're digging to get it out. <laughs> and it bleeds a little bit and everything. The splinter comes out. Then the healing starts. So my splinter was when I talked to Lori and told her my story. I love that. Yeah,
0: started a healing process. A it was a lot of crying, as I'm trying to tell her.
1: I can only it's imagine. All coming back.
0: That's healing yeah. for you and your family.
1: Yeah. What surprised you most about that process of sharing your war stories with your daughter?
2: I saw her crying. You know that hurt too, mm. for her to hear that. Because of being so close, I didn't. You know, I wasn't trying to hide anything back from her, but it was trying to process it after being put away that long to get it out. But then I did, after the whole thing was done, It was getting ready to go to print. It had gone through the editor. I told her no. Uh, I was out of state. I think I was on a reunion down at uh, Fort Gordon or someplace for a Vietnam reunion on the phone. I said, no, we're not going to do this. And she said, Dad's too late for that.
0: (laughs) This sounds familiar.
2: Yeah, and <laughs> I I told her in the very beginning that uh, I didn't think any Viet any Vietnam veteran or any military veteran would ever read the book, especially a Vietnam veteran. Or uh, women would not read it, and I was totally wrong on both both cases. That's some of the biggest uh, women, more than even men, want to read, want to know what their dad, grand grandfather, brother did. Hundred
1: you know. percent. Yeah, I, but, I I was
2: so yeah. I, uh, I felt really strange. I did not want this story to go out. I felt it'd be almost like uh, taking your clothes off and streaking down a busy street, you know, letting everybody know this. I held it in for a long time. Uh, Then the rewarding part came because after I told my story, other people came um, numerous times and said, I never told anybody, and now, you know, Korean War veterans, they never told anybody what they did, and now they're, and that was part of Laurie's goal, to try to help veterans with the book. Uh, The VA started using the book in counseling, and and guys opened up because of that. And uh, so what I did and what I was afraid to do turned out to be good,
1: you know, it was.
2: Like most things in life.
1: That's beautiful. The things that you're afraid of doing, um, in fact, they often say if you're not afraid, you're not invested enough into it. So if you're not nervous, you should be. Otherwise, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, And that's good leadership,
0: right? That's good. Sure. It's a dance floor that's empty. You're in high school. The boys are on one side and girls are on the other. And you know what? You're like, I'm going to get out there and start break dancing. And everybody's laughing. uh, And then they join you. And then the dance floor is full. And everybody's happy now because of you. That's a beautiful thing.
1: So when you came back from Vietnam, you've been married for 48 years? I saw in a bio, is it?
0: Uh,
2: may be, uh, this may first be uh, 53. Wow. 53.
1: I had old information. Gosh, 53 we, we've years. We've been together
2: since. Uh, I dated her uh, in, in high school. We met on a okay. blind date in 1965. Uh, so she- the, the week of between Christmas and New Year's is 65. So this December be, what, 60 or 50, I don't know, 58 years or something. <laughs> Let's ask ago. her.
0: <laughs> She'll know. Um, <laughs>
2: and I always tease and say, yeah, all this time we've had two good years. You know, I'm teasing about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Re knew me for uh, a good two years before I go into the military. And then she knew me for that time while I'm in training before Vietnam but she tells everybody she knows two Johns. She, she knows the John before and, and me now. Yeah. And knowing better now, she said, it's still not the same
0: person. That must've been difficult. How, how did she take that when you, you yeah, first before the home, draft, you're like, I'm just going to beat, the, beat the draft to it. I'm going to go ahead and just get <laughs> on over there. I mean, I'm sure she was excited about that. Huh? Uh,
2: about me going into the military.
0: Yeah. Which how, how, yeah. how, did she handle that?
2: Okay. What? Uh I'm th- three years older than her. I meet her, she was just turned 15. And I had a, a plan. I I asked her to marry me when I'm in high school, as I'm graduating. And I said, I'm going to the military. I want to go in career. And I wanted her to go with me. And she said, well, she hadn't finished school yet. And I said, that's no problem. You can finish school when you're in the military, when you're married to me. And uh, she didn't go for that at all. <laughs> didn't like that idea. Uh, I did get to see her a lot when I was in the military, because after I uh, got out of left Fort Benning, out of jump school, I was signed to the 101st at Fort Campbell, and it was 320 miles or something like that to St. Louis. And I can say it now because I can't get in trouble, but I was able to <laughs> Wow. I'd, I'd get in the car on Saturday, usually after. We had inspection every Saturday, dress screens, and uh, I'd get out of the dress screens. I'd get my car and I'd drive to St. Louis and then I wouldn't sleep again till Monday night. I stayed up Saturday night, I stayed up Sunday and then I'd go through training on Monday and finally crash, you know. (laughs) Real good for your health, right? But uh, I did get to see her a lot through that time at Fort Campbell and uh, I guess I was pretty lucky that too because I did not get a leave before I left for Vietnam. Uh, A lot of the guys that couldn't go home like I did. Did not get a leave and went to Vietnam, and some of them were killed and never saw their family that whole time, but well, because of being that close, it was really too far to go, but it was close enough that I wasn't coming home like that, but they they pushed our deployment date up, I, I believe because of TAT, everybody was supposed to get a 30 minute um, day leave, and they were going down the, the line, and when they got to S, it you know, was too late you know, for that, but on alphabetically yeah. <clears throat> on the on leave. So uh, a lot of guys didn't get one.
0: You gotta love the military. It's always alphabetical, starting with A's. You're like, man, I'm always gonna be in the same position. <laughs> or,
2: yeah, and you know, they, uh, they don't tell you anything and you hear the the rumors and stuff. And most of the time they're not right or, right. or not true at all, you know, but uh, I believe it was because information about TET was gonna happen and uh, wanted to get us over there in time for that.
0: Well, at least they took away your weekends by having a dress green inspection because they couldn't find time the other five days a week you were at work to mess (laughs) with you on a weekend so you couldn't go home. I I love it. I love the military when they think uh, that way.
2: The airborne, especially at that time, was just infantry was nothing but spit and polish. And uh, every Saturday morning was dress greens. And then we'd go up to the barracks for them to try to find something that was wrong in there. And you spend all day, Saturday morning, taking gun oil and rubbing it on the concrete steps and stuff to make it shine. then the dust is sticking to it. Yeah.
0: I I always love the Army. You know, hey, you need to buff those floors, but they're concrete. Hey, buff them. (laughs) Buff them anyway. I'm like, man, you guys are smart here. I've always loved it.
1: So she knew you high school. As you went off to basic, she sees you come home on weekends and then you tell her, I'm going overseas. I'm going to Vietnam. Um, I can't imagine anyone going through that. She's a young woman at this time. Um, Were you guys communicating via letters? Were were you in contact with her when you were in Vietnam or was it pretty much?
2: Vietnam, I wrote her. In fact, she's got every letter I ever wrote her, she wow. still has. I did not know that until Lori got ready to write the book. Wow! Uh, Lori didn't know it. She had it in a cedar chest, they're all, every every letter I wrote her from Fort Leonard Wood and basic training all the way through to Fort Gordon, to Fort Benning, to, to Vietnam, she kept every letter.
1: Did you read those? Did you go back and revisit those yeah, letters?
2: During the interviewing for the book, uh, I, I also kept a journal in Vietnam, small journal, daily journal of what I was doing. Why? My dad kind of said, well, it'd be a good idea to write stuff Smart. down. I think yeah. he was talking about getting guys' names, get contact. That's what he did World War II. And, but I kept a daily journal, what we were doing, and who got killed, and different things, you know, was happening, big events. Lori didn't know that either to the book. So when we pulled the journal out, my letters, and also we got the archives of everything I did every day out of Texas, and we put the three things together and they all lined up. You know, if I wrote down who got killed, we looked in the archives. We could tell what happened that day. Now, I didn't I didn't write that home to, to Rhea. Really,
1: you know, I didn't sure. tell her that. I'm,
2: I made her think everything was pretty good, you know.
1: I'd yeah, you were protecting her.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, telling her the good stuff, like they brought us some beer out to the field today or, or we got a Coke, you know, that was a big deal, a good can of Coke and, uh, or some beer or hot food. That's the kind of stuff I was writing to her about, but telling her where I was, you know, what part of the country is I moved around, but uh, somewhere around uh, halfway through the year, I got one of the letters, I told her that, uh, I knew it changed. And I said, when I get home, I need you to bring me back. Now I'm talking to her at that time. And she was 16, I think, or maybe 17 at that right. time. That's heavy. I, I had it in my head that I could get home and she could bring me back. She didn't have a clue. <laughs> clue what she was talking about, <laughs> right? Not a clue. You know how she's in high school. How would she know what to do? Um, i 40.
1: Was always- I was 40 and I didn't know what to do. So yeah.
2: <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. She had no idea. And then I didn't tell her anything. You know, I, I got home and I just locked up. So I never told her what I did or what what was going on. So I mean, how would she? I'm not blaming her for that. You know, I'm just saying that I thought she could. Uh, of course I even thought that once I hit, say, St. Louis's back at home, that I would come back. And I kept thinking every day it would get a little bit better, but it doesn't.
0: You were looking for it. You were looking yeah. for the old you, yeah. looking for yeah. that connection again. And But you're different, right? Everything's the same but you. And that's the as tough I, part.
2: As I landed at Lambert, and in those days, you got off the plane, went down steps. You know, it wasn't that like it is now. And I can remember the plane landing, the door opening, the steps coming up, and I could see my mom and dad, brother and sisters, and her standing there. And I did not want to get off the plane. I wanted to turn around. Yeah. Go back. Yeah. So I get in the car with them, and, and my mom and dad were living uh, in Manchester, Missouri, you know, f- close. And I didn't say one word in the car going going home. I just locked up. Nobody said a word. You know, they were all talking. I wasn't talking. And then it, it just keeps going downhill from that, you know, from that point. Yeah. Uh, my, that's, that's when I got to the point where my dad later that day said Do I needed to talk and I said no and I locked down and uh, they had a party for me that didn't go real well. Uh, a friend of my dad's that I did not know was, uh, I think, Colonel. Captain or current, I don't know, officer, he comes in dress greens to the party, unbeknown to me, with a briefcase and a set of orders for me to report to Fort Hood, Texas, and be back in Vietnam. Oh, shit. He, he thought it was a joke. Uh, it was not a joke to me. Did you punch or, him? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, that's my not dad,
2: funny. <laughs> my dad was in World War II, uh, served in uh, Africa for, I don't know, three three years, whatever it was over there, but he was not in combat. He wasn't in infantry, he was Air, air Force. Uh, this friend of his uh, was in the military, but he was not infantry. There's a big difference between military and infantry. Tom, you know that. Yeah. Uh, so they did not do it to be mean. They thought it was funny, but it was the real papers. I still have them. You know that oh. I, can, uh, yeah, uh, tell me a report, and, uh, my fu- future mu- uh, mother-in-law at that time kicked my dad <laughs> in the leg. I bet she was, and Rita was crying,
0: and Aww. the party pretty
2: much uh, put a real damper on the party. You know, but uh,
0: that's proof of lack you. of understanding on yes. his part of anything that you had gone through to make a joke of it, make light of it, to even try to make you feel. Better about. It. I mean, that's a horrible thing to even try to, uh, but they didn't understand, right? There was no right, way for them to right. understand I, I, that that I, wouldn't I'm be not, funny. Yeah. I wasn't,
2: after after the initial part, I wasn't mad at anybody about it. I understood they did not have a clue. You know what? Uh, I started picking up, I joined the American Legion, I picked up shortly after that. A lot of the guys that were there, which what not too many Vietnam veterans joined the veterans group, but the group that was there I felt like the outcasts, the other ones went, uh, some of them went to Korea and some were in the Navy on a ship and, or they were in Vietnam. They, yeah, they were there and it's dangerous but they weren't out doing what I was doing. And I just, that caused me to lock down even more. You know, I felt like there was nobody. Well, you wanna fit in,
0: you wanna belong and fit in with people like you. And when you come home from something like that it's difficult to fit in and find people like you, right? It's, that's hard.
1: Especially with similar experiences like that, you were in the worst kind of hell. And to try to explain that to someone, I imagine you don't even want to, you know, because then each time you're reliving it. And that, how did that manifest for your relationship? I mean, early on, you could see she's, you know, 17, you're 23-ish. But as you start to have a family and you start to grow together and you're continuing to put the war under the rug, was there any point in time that you felt like, I have got to deal with this? Now, or was it just a continuation of one foot in front of the other?
2: Just keep trying to bury it or run from it. Yeah. Uh, we were married in, in 70, 1970 and we bought a brand new house that was being built in Fenton, right? Real close to where you're at right now, right? At yeah. 140, 140, 140. Oh, yeah. Uh, brand new house, a nice little starter sub subdivision, all young people about the same age, 20s. Everything was. Should be perfect, but I, I stayed there four years and I couldn't I couldn't do it. I said, We got to get out of here. And I found a place where I'm living now and I checked it out at night and I couldn't see any lights. It was on top of a hill. No, no house is close enough to even see a light. And that's where, where I moved my family to. And I put them up on top of the hill and secured the, you know, to keep <laughs> them safe. Yeah. I love so that. My, my children suffered from that because uh, I didn't want them to do after school activities. I didn't want them to go anywhere. Uh, everybody had to be in the perimeter at night, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, for good reason. To you, for good reason. The, to them, they're like, well, why can't we be normal? What and you're like, I'm protecting you. My job. I still freak out. Freaked out today. Like, I wake up. She didn't lock the garage door. I, I, why didn't you lock the garage door? I, I don't know. I'm like, well, you got to lock the garage door. Security is important. Uh, to us, and it, it'll be important to us forever, even though we know it's silly at times.
2: I'm still overprotective, pr- I know. I'm, my wife wants to go get her hair done or something. i say, oh, that's okay, I'll ride with you, you know, I, Well, she knows what I'm doing, you know. Uh, turns out the day she's going by herself, so she probably feels a uh, foot Loose and fancy free today <laughs> with me but, How do you uh,
0: feel? Are you like, if today's the day that something happens, I'll never forgive myself. That's where I, he goes I, all I, the I, time. If I get up and I think, if I'm in bed at night, I'm like, did I lock that door? And I probably, and I'm like, I got to get up and go check that door. or I won't sleep. I won't feel good. I can't. I have to go double, triple check, you know? Yeah. Are you going to be uh, all right with her getting what, her hair done?
2: So, sometimes people like that, you know, for, for, a short period of time, but then after a while, it starts to wear on them, I'm sure, that she probably does feel good to be by herself today, and sometimes she does, and she goes, well, I wish you were there, because I didn't get all the bags out of that Lazy Susan thing when you check out, you know, or something, because you're not there checking for me, but uh, I went on the honor flight, oh, right before COVID, 2018, I think it was, so the lady that was my, uh Started to say what they call it, not an escort. Uh, <laughs> anyways, when going on a flight, you have somebody with you. That you know, each veteran has a right. person with them. And of course, the lady that did this is Kathy Nick uh, Dixon. She enjoyed that day with me protecting her. And, I love that. Uh, I said, well, yeah, I'd probably get old if we did it every day. You know, <laughs> it was almost more a uh, guardian. They call it a guardian. Yep. It, I said it'd be uh okay today but if i was your guardian every day you'd probably start getting tired of that you know but i don't know I, I do it to strangers i'm i'm concerned about strangers i'll be in the store and i'll see something and sometimes i have to stop myself i'm thinking you shouldn't let that purse lay in that cart turn around from it you should have it in your hand you know but sometimes it's better not to say anything
0: were you born yeah. that way you think or is that in you or is that trained into you
2: I, I think a lot of it was from the training of looking out for each other because yep. that, that was a big part of our training, you know, to cover each other and take care of each other. at all cost to you for them. You know, that's what we did for each other. But... You ever and then that, that? Goes, that goes back to the guilt thing, you know. yeah. Did I not cover for that guy good enough or, you know.
0: Do you ever feel like I wish I could be fancy free and carefree like the rest of you? I mean, I know I do. I do. I'm like, I wish I could not care.
2: Yeah, I wonder what it would feel like to to be that way, you know. But uh, I was asked by in in a podcast the person doing it wanted to know if if I could take one pill and would erase everything. Would you do it? And I said I don't know. I'd have to think about it because it could erase good stuff too, you know. So you got to take the bad with the good, I guess. But it sounds nice, but you know, just all of a sudden have all these bad memories gone. They've told me that in counseling that could happen if you get dementia, but you really don't want that. You know, I said, true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. Don't have that just to erase the bad memories. But
0: Would you read your letters now? Um, do you read them and think, wow, what was I writing? Well, I was a different person. You know, uh, do you read those now and think that or.
2: Well, I haven't read them since we did the book, you know, uh, for a while, but, uh, more than that is the memories thinking back i feel doesn't sometimes it doesn't feel like it was me Mm -hmm. doing doing the stuff i did uh sometimes i think about vietnam i'm more nervous about it now than i was then (laughs) that's probably age you know when you're young you know i was 19 i'm nothing could really hurt me Uh, even though everybody's getting hurt around me my big part of my training was that we were uh not only paratroopers, we were the 101st, and nobody could hurt us.
0: Right. Invincible.
2: That was drilled in our head day in and day out, and then you'd do one little step out of a place, and they'd say, you're the first one we're going to put in a body bag when we get across the pond. So it was this game of back and forth, but wait a minute, we're we're so bad nothing could hurt us, but now you're saying we're going to get killed, but see, it was, I guess, putting it in your head that you were that way. But now when I think back, uh, how easy I could have been, something happened to me.
0: Was know? there a point back then that something happened that you realized, uh, I know there was a day that happened to me. I was invincible. You know, I made my kit smaller. So it was lighter, you know, and then I, I turned and saw my friend being drug away by, by some kid, you know, picked up an AK and just aimed it. And I'm thinking, well, it doesn't really matter now, does it? <laughs> was there a point where you thought, man, this can just happen at any day. I'm not invincible. uh, Oh, like instantly you're like, whoa, I'm not invincible. Holy crap.
2: I had two events in Vietnam. Probably the biggest one is I stepped on a landmine Hmm. and uh, it didn't go off, but I I didn't lift my foot because I thought lifting the foot would make it go off. (laughs) I I don't know
0: what I would do. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It seemed like it was a long time before uh, I wanted everybody else on the patrol to get away from me where I couldn't see anybody. And then uh, before I lift my foot up and I think, well, I'll lift it up and try to run. Well, really, I don't think you can run that fast, you know? But yeah, there was a lot of thinking going on, thinking about how, if I did make it, what it would be like. And uh, I guess the other time I had a a guy put an uh, uh, enemy soldier, Big Kong put an M16 in my back and pulled the trigger on full automatic with a full clip. And the first, the early M16s were bad for uh, jamming. And luckily he had one of those and it jammed. And the guy next to me was facing away from me, shot and killed him. But I, that made me think when I turned around, I thought, well, what's he shooting at? And I turned around and looked and then here was a guy dead on the ground that was getting ready to kill me, but yeah. that. That that gives you a lot of uh, lot to think about. Are
1: you, you never, a,
0: are, are you a religious man? Yes. If you weren't, if you weren't, I would have been at right <laughs> that moment. I'd be like, okay, 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 God, I got it, <laughs> I got it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, was there a point? I when I was reading some um, of your book, it talked about how when you first got off the helicopter in Vietnam, the smells were so intense to you that they were really some of the first smells. That, you know, you had like that, whether it was the food in the markets, you said you could smell the weed, you could smell, you know, the oil and all of these things that, you know, as you're, you're coming off the helicopter into Vietnam, and then you spend time there, you come back, were smell still a trigger for you? Is that something throughout, you know, throughout your life that were there certain triggers that would bring you right back? I imagine smell would be one of them.
2: Yeah, uh yeah. Smell is and and hearing stuff. If I hear a Huey, (laughs) and they're still around, National Guard's got them, and uh, I'm in a flight pattern from Fort Leonard Wood. They come over, uh, helicopters come over a lot. Not too much with Hueys with them, but I do, you know, hear the Huey. So that that triggers a lot. Um, Smell, uh, I'm not a hunter, but I had a, a guy on my property that, you know, I was letting him hunt, and he had killed a deer, and I went back to to help him with a tractor, put it in the bucket to get, get it back up to his truck, and the smell of that blood and that gunpowder just, whoa, it, you know, being that close to it, and the sun is in the bucket, and it's right there in front of me, and the smell is really strong. Um, back in, uh, I think it was, 1985 or something like that the movie Patoon came out yeah. uh Oliver stone's movie Patoon. Yeah. and uh, my wife had always sheltered me from any kind of vietnam movies i'd never seen any at all she just said no we're not going to do that and i just went along with it and i told her i wanted to see that that movie at a theater and for some reason she said okay and we got to the theater and it started And First thing she had to stop me on is when they start, Americans started killing some of the Viet Cong. I was cheering like I was down watching the Cardinals. (laughs) Can't do that. But they had earned people were looking at me. But then the next thing I asked her is how how are they getting that smell in there? And she said, what smell? And I said, I can smell blood and Uh, gunpowder. Time to go. Yeah. So that was the last time we went to see any Vietnam. uh,
0: I can't do it. I can't do it. I I've tried. I can't. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's too personal, right? It's too close. It's real. It's, um, uh,
2: look, it's- in the process of writing the book, Lori did it in her house where we stop and start it. And she was interviewing me and I did way but different, but it wasn't in a theater. Theaters change sound. Uh, everything's different. And her stop and start and doing it as a, a teaching tool. Uh, when I was in, uh, I, I was in the VA hospital. I, I put myself in there in a program in Topeka, Ohio, uh, Kansas, uh, O'Neill VA for two months for PT, PTSD program. Very, my opinion, very good program. But in the program, all of a sudden one day in one of the classes they put on the a Forrest Gump, uh, movie. Wow. and where they come in as where, where he's running, you know, the get, get Lieutenant Dan, and it didn't bother anybody else in the room. The whole room was full of veterans, but I was the old man in the group. Vietnam. Everybody else was young. Nobody else bothered bothered them at all, and it it bothered me big time. Yeah. And one of the younger guys, the guy out of the eighty second Airborne, was over there, and he got up and come over, and uh, put his arms around me, and I made it through it, you know. But they told me later they were want me wanted to see what it take to break me. That's what they said. Wow. I didn't. I don't, that was one thing of the program I, I didn't, still don't understand. There was women veterans in the group, and they didn't play any movies about women getting raped, and that's why they were there. There was three women with me in that group that had been raped in the military. Uh, they didn't play a mo- movie for that, you know, so why do this for me? But that was the one thing of that whole program I didn't, and still can't figure out why they wanted to do that. And they even told me afterwards, they might do it again to me. They didn't. They didn't do that again. but uh,
1: That's that's brutal. And what did it mean to you? You had another veteran come over who supported you, um, holding you or or helping you through that moment. How important is it to you to have that brotherhood still?
2: Very important. And it it made me, even though he was uh, young enough probably to be my son at the time, you know, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as uh, one of the young guys I was with in the military. No, like no age barrier there it was and we we became kind of close too because the two of us were the only two that were paratroopers in the in that program at the time and uh, that's why i think he was the room was dark so he looked over and spotted that i was having issues you know he, he was
0: probably on guard for me that's pretty cool
1: that is cool and so important to you. You know, look out for each other. He specifically knew that might be difficult for you. He had his eye on you. And as soon as he noticed that you might need some support, he came in. Yeah, the way. That's the definition of of a brotherhood, of of having each other's back. What would you say to people who are young? They've come back uh, from Afghanistan or war, and they're really struggling now, and they're trying to shove it under their rug and pretend like it doesn't matter. What would you say to them?
2: The first I've been saying this since the book came out, talking to people, you need to talk. And it's easy to say that, I know that. But I I, I encourage them, you don't need to write a book. That's good if you can. Uh, You don't need to really go to the library and talk to a group speak engagement or to your high school or anything, but you need to talk. You need to talk to somebody and, and tell them what you went through and hopefully the person you're doing it is good enough if they'll sit and listen to you but you got to get it out it's not going to take it completely and heal you completely but it's going to start a process of healing you so my my recommendation is talk
1: yeah don't shove it under the rug not much good comes from that
2: Was looking there a- back uh about the talking i've I don't know if it's true, but I felt like if I would have left Vietnam and not been discharged and went to Fort Bragg or whatever and been signed to the eighty second, then I could have been with other guys that came home and we could have talked, it would have helped. And some of the guys I talked to did. They had enough time left where they would be assigned to another unit here in the States and you know, talk to each other a little bit about it. And I, I went back and didn't talk to anybody. You know, uh, felt like there was nobody to talk to. You. I worked in construction. And after I retired, I worked with a guy that lives uh, right there in, uh, in Fenton. I worked with him for 50 years. And after I retired, I went to a veteran's breakfast in Fenton. And he was there. And I did not <laughs> know he was a Vietnam veteran. He said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm a Vietnam veteran.
1: 50 years it, you guys worked together. And you both yeah. served in Vietnam. And neither yeah. of you knew it.
2: He, wow. was, he was, a, or he still is. He's a Marine, you know. They never quit being a Marine.
0: Uh, <laughs> Maybe he forgot yeah, he was in he, Vietnam, I and mean, you just don't brag.
2: <laughs> he just, he didn't talk about it, yeah. you know, and I didn't talk about it. And of course, at work, uh, wouldn't have had anything to wear, you know, a hat or anything like that that would, would have marked that. Just never had a clue that, you know. And it seems like that's pretty common in Vietnam vets. That they said so they, they didn't know their neighbor or somebody they went to church with or whatever, worked with, just no clue that they they were, you know, a veteran.
0: Do you think your feelings have changed? Um, maybe political feelings or polit- feelings about war from being a, a, a child and wanting to join, Get I'm going to get ahead of this and sign up, um, whether you were going to join anyway or not, but going in and getting out and then growing up and now looking back and looking at the wars now um do you feel differently about it like somebody asked me the other day how do you feel about wars now you know you were I wanted to go do my job I wanted to go protect America I I you know blindly listened to my leaders and went and did my job and I was proud to do my job and then I grew up a little bit and I started paying more attention thinking why don't our leader take a ball back with that leader and you guys fight it out. You know, you guys punch each other and figure out your differences instead of sending thousands of people who really don't know why they're going just to do their job. You know, um, how do you feel? Or do you feel differently now?
2: Well, there's nothing good about war. You know, that uh, it'd be nice if they could sit down and talk before instead of afterwards. And uh, I don't think that's ever going to really happen. Maybe to a degree it does a little bit, or delays it a little bit. But uh, there's evil in the world, and I think it's always been there. And good's got to fight evil, and it's but it's not a always a fair fight. It's not doesn't come out the way you really want it all the time. Um, I guess my, both my grandfathers were in World War One, infantry and the cavalry. Uh, my dad was World War II, uh, Uncle Pearl Harbor survivor, my whole family, uh, Korean veterans. I was the first one to be a Vietnam veteran, but I think from early age, I, I wanted to go in the military. Whether it was a war or not, I thought it'd be a good life to live in the military. Uh, I guess if I could turn the clock back, I think I'd do this exact same thing. Um, few things about Vietnam I think I'd like to do different than I did. Uh, I had a chance to be a door gunner on a Huey, and I turned it down, and I'm regretting it. But I might not be talking to you today if I would have taken that. <laughs> That's true.
0: That's a toss-up. That's <laughs> a toss-up.
2: Uh, sometimes I think, well, what if I would have went back for one more year? Maybe I could have made the uh, you know tables turn a little bit better for, for the Vietnamese people. Uh, but but that's all speculation. I mean, how would you ever know and, and right. different on that? But as far as uh, I think we we got to keep standing up for freedom or we won't have it. That's, I hear people today, uh, Vietnam veterans today, that still do not know why we went to Vietnam. They think they went over there to get home safe. Well, yeah, you wanted to get home safe, but we went over there to protect people we didn't know, but they wanted freedom. Yeah. I've asked people, uh, if you're on the street and you see somebody, uh, two guys beating up somebody else or a woman or a man or whatever, do you turn around and walk away from that? Or do you go over and try to to help the the person that's getting beat up? And in the process, you might get beat up or killed. But I'd rather die once than die every day for
0: the rest of my life. I love that. I love that. A coward's life. It's Today, a lot of people sit back and it's like you watch people record things instead of getting involved and helping. It's like, I don't, I don't, people don't want to get involved. Um, They're afraid to get involved. I don't know. I I look at Jen a lot and I'm like, why don't people jump up and do something? She's like, they're not you. They're they're not, yeah, there's not many people People that joined and did things that you, 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 your people have done. And so, yeah, they do just sit there. And it's, it's baffling to people like us that nobody takes action to help. So, well, I don't know them. Does that matter? You you know that they're human and you're a human. Go help them.
1: You even just said there's evil in the world and it needs to be squashed. What what role did spirituality, if any, play for you either in Vietnam or in your healing process?
2: Hmm. I have to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. you Kind of got. To,
1: no, that's all right. I, I can only imagine... Um, we hear a lot of folks who are raised um, with religion or spirituality. They go to war and they lose it. Um, they've seen too much of the bad stuff. They've seen too much of the evil side of the world. and or they, they turn feel away guilty
0: about the things they've or, done that they exactly. feel they shouldn't have done.
1: Moral injury or, or where that really comes into play. So I didn't know if when you were over there, you were struck by either the lack thereof or the need of, um, some type of comfort beyond this world. Um, or if it changed how you, when you came home, if, if you were religious or spiritual and then you weren't or vice versa.
2: Well, I was raised to be a Christian and I, I don't know if I thought a whole lot about it. I, I I think I felt okay if I was going to get killed, you know, on that part. Uh, being young, I probably didn't think as much about the end of time as you do when you, <laughs> like now I'm 75 and I'm thinking, oh, it was, okay. The, it's the, almost the, here. It's <laughs> almost here. In the last <laughs> chapter or whatever, you know, but uh, I don't know The uh, strange thing. I felt like I was coming home. I, a lot of the guys who were with me said they weren't coming home. They knew that.
1: Hmm. Uh,
2: I don't know if people have different feelings, if that's just something you have or something more than that. But I just felt like I was going to come home.
1: Do you think that's very interesting? So you you verbalized I'm coming home. It was a belief. It it was almost a knowing to you. I know I'm coming home. Yet you had men to your left and right saying, I know I'm not coming home. So they had also spoken that of. Do you think that mindset of I'm coming home helped you stay alive?
2: Yeah, I think thinking positive is a good thing, you know, so that probably could have a lot to do with it. I I didn't know until I went up to Ronnie Means' family in Cherokee, and I met with uh, friends of his that he grew up with, and they said, well, we remember Ronnie came home the last time, and he said, well, I wanted to see everybody because I don't think I'm coming back, and that's the first I knew that. Wow. that he had said that to people so I don't know what his feelings were because he never let that out to me you know but yeah. so I had a guy with me that even in jump school he'd say every day he was going to die every time we get on an airplane he said I think I'm going to die today you know but wow uh, oh, no. <laughs> that's and this is kind of sad but I guess the rest of us on the plane were probably scared too But you know especially in jump school and, uh, oh, yeah. we'd play, we on
1: yeah.
2: that. So had, wait, his name was Donald white. And I said, uh, yeah, you're probably going to die today when we're going to make it. So we were lifting ourselves up on him, which I know that's that probably wasn't good. <laughs> Sounds like a funny. typical
1: 19 year old. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, then in Vietnam, one day, uh, three of us got separated in the jungle, thick canopy jungle, uh, from the rest of the town. And Don was one of them. And he said, we are going to die. Now, now it went from I'm going to die. No, to no, no, sir.
0: <laughs> Do not bring us on your party.
2: And I said, no, we are not going to die. Well, about, uh, I forget the exact, a week or two weeks after that, he did die. On February the 11th, I think it was. Uh, was killed one night with the rounds came in. But... Uh, He constantly said that he was going to die. And uh, I don't don't think he should do that. (laughs) You know, I don't think even here today, I don't think I should say, well, I think we're going to have a tornado today.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: No manifestations. I think
2: it's going to be a nice day today.
1: Do you do that every day? You kind of wake up and say it's going to be a nice day today now?
0: Yeah,
2: pretty much. Uh, (laughs) I love sunny days. I don't like dreary days, but I mean.
0: You need to move. You need to move I, I, somewhere I, else for some sun.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh I like uh sunny days and I like to be out in the woods. I don't I'm not hunting, but I just take walks. And I like I like to walk and I like to be out in the woods and uh sunny days makes it a lot more pleasant than a rainy day or something like that would be. But
1: I agree. I agree. I like the sunshine too.
2: And my wife likes cloudy days. Oh. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, well, that's good.
1: You guys yeah. can balance each other out. She can lift yeah. you up on the grays, and you could take her out in the sun on the sunny days.
0: So, John, tell us about jumping from helicopters. Give us a little synopsis so you don't ruin it for us, so people, <laughs> people pick it up.
2: Tell you about the book, without spoiling. Huh? Uh, I have had people say they were nervous all the way through the book that they were going to turn the page and that I died, and then they stopped and realized, oh, no, they talked <laughs> to me already.
0: Wait a minute. You wrote it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, let, no spoiler on that. I, I make it.
1: Uh, <laughs> but that's a page turner.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of, uh, not a lot, but some especially women said they were real nervous through the whole book thinking they were going to turn the page and it would be something gory. Uh, Lori did not want to write it that way. It's pretty clear when you read the book what I did for that year, but it's not going to be one of those things that jumps out at you. Uh, talk a little bit about before I go into military and then a little bit afterwards, but not a whole lot. Uh, the main part, you know, it's just enough to lead it into my, my year and a little bit of my training in the Army. And then mostly biggest part is my experience in Vietnam.
1: Why is it so important for us to know and to remember Vietnam?
2: Well, I'd like to think it's so we don't make the same mistakes again, even though. (laughs) Too late. Into it. I I feel like a few years ago we did another Vietnam with a different people in different terrain, but I said it at the time. That's what my feelings were. And I kind of feel the same way. Uh, you don't live long enough to make all the mistakes in life. You have to learn off other mistakes. It's, it's how you benefit from somebody else's mistake and not do it again. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think it could have been a lot different, the outcome, you know, if it would have been different people doing different things, but, uh, just, it, it's not good. I don't think it's good. Oh, I, I have a lot of Vietnamese friends in St. Louis. There's a huge community and I'm active with that community. And it, it's sad when I talk to them, the ones that were the first generation military guys that came over, uh, they still feel like they want to go back to Vietnam and take their country back again. And I don't think that's going to happen. The younger second and third generations, they some of them were really babies when they came over or born here, and and they don't have that feeling as strong. But uh, I can't imagine what it'd be like if we lost our country and all of a sudden the day we get on a, a boat and go somewhere else and never come back here again or never see freedom here again.
1: Yeah, I can't. I truly can't imagine. And it's so. How did you get involved in the Vietnamese community here, and why was that important to you?
2: was uh I, I belonged to Vietnam Veterans of America in Fenton, a chapter in Fenton, and somebody there we got an invitation to go down to Ameren UE, down to, by uh, Union Station down there. And they wanted to do a welcome home for Vietnam veterans, both American Vietnam veterans and Vietnamese veterans of the South Vietnam. And they had a entertainment for us down there and a meal and they had a parade for us it was all put on through amarin because one of the guys that worked there was a vietnamese and another one his dad was a vietnam veteran so that's how i met the community i i knew they were here but i never was able to meet them so there was a quite a few of us that would go to different events that they have during the year and now it's dwindled down to I'm myself and my wife are the only two that have been going. So we, a couple weeks ago, we went to Tet. And my idea at Tet for all those years was horrible. You know, it was horrible death. And that's the happiest time of the year for, for them. That's their new year. So I see a whole different side at Tet. We get, uh, we're down there for the celebration that day. And they put us up there with, uh, Sam Page of Direct, uh, you know Saint, Saint Louis County, and the uh, prosecuting attorneys, and all these big dignitaries, and there we are sitting with them. But uh, I, I enjoy being with them. Uh, I guess you could say I love the people. I, I think they're good people. And uh, I, ju- I was just invited to be on a panel at uh, Soldiers Memorial in April to speak about. Uh, the effects of war from from my side. There'll be a Vietnamese woman uh, there too that uh, married an American and he came back, American GI, and he came back and committed suicide mm. after they were married. So uh, she's gonna be speaking about, I guess, about him and his situation and, and what it was like living in a village during that time of war. And I think there's gonna be a doctor there uh, talking to about, you know, on that issue. Not really sure all the details. But anyways, I'm pretty active with the Vietnamese. And I, I became closer with them, too. I was on the panel for about a year. Lori and I both on Channel 9 uh, for Ken Burns' documentary. Oh, yeah. On the, so we worked with the Vietnamese on that panel for, I guess, a little over a year before that came out, trying to prepare uh, – a lot There was a lot of concern what veterans might do after seeing that documentary for their mental health part of it, trying to be ready for it. Uh, but it was fun being on that panel and and got to know you know a lot of the Vietnamese people through that.
1: I shared a moment with I was on a mission trip um one of the doctors was in Vietnam. I don't know maybe she was five or six when she came to America. And we were on this bus trip. It was about three hours. And she talked to me about um, living behind chain link fences. And that's what she remembered most were these fences. And we arrived at one of the sites in the Dominican. And the fence system that they had was very similar to what she saw in Vietnam growing up. And at that time, I was the photographer documentarian for that trip. And she said, do you mind coming over and taking some pictures of me as an adult behind these chain link fences? And it was this really beautiful moment um, where she wanted to honor her past Um, and she is probably one of the biggest patriots I know. She loves Fourth of July. She loves American soldiers. She's incredibly grateful um, and has this beautiful relationship with American soldiers because of the freedom that was afforded to her Um, and and the terrible things she saw as a child. Do you feel like having that relationship um, with the people in the country that you fought for is a big part of your healing journey as well?
2: Yes. And, and the, the best, you know, it's very uh, common, I guess, to hear people say, thank you for your service today. But the best one I've ever had is from a Vietnamese. You know, it's- That's beautiful. Like it's Sometimes people just do it, to, it's a catch thing to say, but I yeah. think when it's coming from them, I think it's really
0: sincere. It's and, a you know, tough life when you deploy, and you, you go to a country and like, oh, we love you, you know, Mr. Bush and America, America. And then a week later, like, get out, Yankee, go home. And like, man, you guys change quick, don't you? It's it's tough to <laughs> to feel that way, to help people. And then they turn on you because of things that you're not doing as a human. You know, it's the things that leaders do, the things the bad guys are doing. It's hard to get water flowing again when someone's blowing it up over and over. So they take it out on you. That's very tough. And it's very beautiful and healing to be able to reconnect with those people from that country and realize they're humans they're not the enemy they're not not everybody in a country that we're at war with hates us or wants to fight with us or even agrees with their government or whoever is running their country and what they're doing so it's it's always important to remember the humanity of it all and i think you had a beautiful opportunity in connecting like that and had yeah. you ever had the opportunity to speak to like a vietnamese soldier uh, north nva or any uh, you know the enemy basically, after the fact.
2: Have I talked to any from that? Yeah, to my knowledge, no. Uh, I could have talked to somebody that was and, and I just did not know that. I remember one time, uh, my wife and I were traveling somewhere, I think it was a greeter or something at a Walmart and she said she was from Vietnam. And I said where you know, <laughs> and it turned out she was from Hanoi. Oh, wow. So, you know, now they're coming from the countries united and there's still people coming from even the, the north, you know, that want freedom.
0: Yeah. You know? yeah, right.
1: You did a pause. Was that a pause for a Oh, question? you talked about <laughs>
0: – are you familiar um, – what is it, down in Valley Park? It was one of the yeah. oldest VFW oh, posts yeah. on the river or something, the oldest in Missouri maybe? Or, it was
1: the first in the Missouri. First? It's like I think post number one, and it's right in – by, across Valley from park Simpsons or... Park right there. Uh
2: It's kind of on the east uh on Marshall Road, I guess. Yeah. Coming into the park from the east. Yep. But I didn't know. You just taught me something new today. I did not know that was the oldest post. I knew it was there. I don't think I've ever been there to that post, but I know it was there. I think it's. We un- pulled
0: in one time. Underwater. We were like, we should go there. We drive by all the time. We should go there. We pulled in. I was like, I don't know, man. We turned back around. I don't know if it's was flooded, <laughs> if it was open or closed. So... It's one of those things where I, yeah, somebody told us that's the first one or number one in number Missouri. One in yeah.
1: Missouri, I think. Maybe I have that wrong. So we're gonna get a, I'm gonna get an email, a text, or some kind of message correcting me. I'm sure. But at one point, someone said that was site number one, um, right down the street. Do you? Yeah. Do you? I did not know that. <laughs> Small world, smaller yeah. community. Um, are there any? It's been. I feel like I could talk to you all day. This has been. Vietnam veterans are are some of the people I love the most. Um, Thank you for joining Tom and I for coming on and sharing your stories and your insights. Absolutely pick up his book. I I read parts of it. And I'll tell you, like Tom said, my dad will see a military book and it's gone before.
0: They don't even ask anymore. No,
1: it's just (laughs) it's gone. So. Tom was asking, I'm like, my dad probably has the book, but it's phenomenal. My dad read it quick, um, loved it, loved it. Um, and so I I do think it's really important for us to understand our past to honor our soldiers who fought for freedom, um, then and today. And are there any parting words that you would like to share with the men and women who are listening today?
2: Well, I kind of, uh, Re-say what I did already did. Uh, to any veteran of any time, I don't care if you're still from World War II and never talk to all the way up to somebody getting out today, you need to go and talk to somebody. Tell, tell some, family members somebody and talk to them. And it's going to be hard. To start, but once you start it, it just gets easier as you go. And I, I just feel it's so important to me because I know what it did to me. What had changed in me by talking. I love that. John,
0: thank you. And and I that... want to
2: thank you both for having me here today. I've been, uh, because of COVID, I thought this was going to happen a long time ago. Not to be <laughs> on this, I just wanted to come and meet you. When I read your book and I found out you're sitting in Clayton at a restaurant, I thought, he's got to be close to me somehow or another, you know, uh, living here close. I thought, well, you could have been traveling. But uh, that's when I think Lori reached out to you, and then COVID
0: hit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hope that Lovely. never happens again. Lovely. Oh, they keep telling us it will, right? Oh, it's you know when the next pandemic comes. I'm like, well, stop <laughs> it, stop it now. Yes,
1: please, no Usually, more.
2: Usually they go every hundred years, so I don't think we'll be here for the next
0: one. I, not, definitely
1: not. Yes, I, I hope not. And you know, <laughs> since we are local, we need to get together yeah. and and share some time face to face. Maybe yeah, share a meal. That would I would be look wonderful. forward to that. Me too. I'm sure
0: Lori would too.
1: Me too. Yeah, it's been phenomenal getting to spend some time with you. Of so much respect and admiration.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you echoed that, that comment about talking. That's the one thing that holds people up, that comparison. You know, well, mine wasn't like yours or mine wasn't as hard. You, you don't know. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Reach out and talk. It's just talking, right? It's not help. It's just training. If you haven't had it before, it's retraining. If you have had it before, but you don't really need help. You just need to learn things you didn't know that can help you along your path in life. And and John, thank you so much.
2: And and I was in the classes at Topeka for the for the PTSD. They were encouraging us to uh, to even write it. Yeah. Even if nobody ever read it, write it down on paper. Uh, Apparently, just writing it, and if nobody ever reads it, gets it out of you. Yes. Helps work to get it out. Much better if somebody if you're talking to somebody, but as as they were telling me to do that in that uh, counseling, that's when I was talking to Lori. So it was wasn't planned that way, but it worked hand in hand, you that's know, perfect. with with doing that. I'd I'd seen the the posters in the VA. If you're a true warrior, isn't afraid to ask for help. I don't know if you have ever seen any of those in the hospital, and I read them probably for a year, coming home and saying to my wife, do you think I need help? And she goes, I don't know, do you think you do? It took me a whole year before I finally went into the door and, and asked to talk to somebody. And they said, yeah, I
0: needed help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, a year ago, <laughs> maybe longer.
1: Yeah, all the way back to 1960 something, right? So just goes to show for the men and women who think they can shove it under the rug, it'll go away on its own. Here's living proof right here to talk about it.
2: I wish the military, I'm sure it's better now than it was, but I wish they'd give us as much debriefing as they do preparing us to go.
0: They don't. It's the same. Later, you can feel the boot on your butt and you're out the door and you're like, whoa. And they're like, that was the new guy kicked me out. So,
2: I think my training before Vietnam was good. I, I don't have any complaints. Maybe I could have learned something more, done a little bit more, physically got in better shape. But I think I was really good
0: we've asked the DOD why they don't help when you get out there like, this that's not our job our job's to prepare you for war that's the VA's job i'm like no the VA's a little busy right now i don't i think somebody needs to take up that job
2: yeah
0: you know if they retrain they got to retrain you they got to kind of uh, decommission you so to speak so you can come home and not you know more people have died by suicide in the last 20 yeah. years by what 6 7 fold than the enemy could take our lives so it's yeah. it's it's a bigger problem than the enemy can hand us So we need to redirect our thoughts and money, I think, in a different direction. I want to thank Lori as well, your daughter, for for writing that book with you and bringing us together. Um, We always know it's a team that brings everybody together. And I love that it's a family. Yeah, and it's a family that makes it even more beautiful.
1: Yeah, Thank you so much for joining us. For those listening, make sure to check out the links. Uh, There'll be links to John's website as well as his book. Make sure to check, check it out, pick it up. It's a great read. And thank you again so much for your time, sir. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to All Secure. Community matters now more than ever. So if you liked what you heard, please share, review and subscribe.
1: For assistance or to support our incredible warriors and their families, please visit us at allsecurefoundation.org. That's allsecurefoundation.org.
0: Tune in next week to All Secure, and thanks again for listening. See you all then.